Welcome to Fox and Frayed. I'm Anne without an E. And I'm Robin with a Y. We're the podcast that takes you down the reading rabbit hole. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for our January book reviews. And how is it going? It is going pretty well. I've had a few um, like starts and stops. It's just been like getting back into reading and, you know, January, January blues. <laughs> yeah. But it's really good. It is the thing really is, good. Like when I read it, I really want to read like a big chunk and get mm -hmm. really into it. I just haven't had as many opportunities to really devote my time to it. I read like over 300 pages over a couple of days because it's really good. It really draws you in. And then I took a day off, which turned into a week off or which turned into a weekend off. And then that turned into a week off. So I'm back at it again and I'll be, I think, halfway done later today. So I'm hoping I can finish before February. Do you think I could read 500 pages in 10 days? How many pages is that a day? I think you could. What's 500 divided by 10? Depends what you have going on in those days. Yeah, it's true. I have nothing going on. 50 pages a day. Oh, that's nothing. That's easy. Because yeah, if you have that's a good day, total. you can read like 100 pages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're trying to finish it by end of January. Okay. Yeah. End of January, hopefully. I know that we talked about doing a book club day for it because originally we were going to review it today. Yeah. That's what we agreed on at first. And then we were like, this is not possible. So we're going to have a, like a bonus episode. That's the review of it or the, like the book club episode. And the first half of the episode will be totally spoiler free. And then we'll announce when we're getting into spoilers that anybody who's listening can not spoil themselves if they choose to, if they want to read it later on. Yeah, it's excellent though. It's really good. It's very, it's not that scary. I know there are some people who are listening who are too scared to read it, but there's only been two scenes out of over 500 pages that I've read that are really, really scary. And one of them was like a childhood trauma from the movie for me. So there's only one scene that was really, truly scary. So I think people can do it. They shouldn't be too scared. Okay, so I will start with some books that I read at the end of 2020 that didn't make it into our review because I read it like in the last week of December. Okay. Yeah. So the one, the second to last book that I read was The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm really curious about how you happen to read such a book. I've never heard of it. And just the title made me laugh. Yeah. So I heard about it through actually another book podcast. And I thought it sounded really interesting. It's about a professional baseball player whose wife decides to divorce him and then his friends from his team ask him to join their book club but they only read romance novels and i don't mean like the notebook romance novels like they read sort of like smutty harlequin romance novels they they each have had a bad experience with their wives or girlfriends like where they've wanted to get a divorce or they've wanted to break up or something and they say that these books helped rekindle their relationship and makes them more aware of their feelings and it makes them more sensitive and it makes them a little bit more just aware of the things that their wives face that they might not have sympathy for. It's a little bit of a difficult book to review because it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it is like a cheesy sort of romantic comedy. It, it's a little, 
it's a little silly, but honestly, at the time I was looking for a book that was uplifting and silly because, you know, Christmas was hard for a lot of people this year. You know, most people didn't get to spend Christmas with the people that they wanted to, or they were alone or whatever. So I wanted a, a kind of a happy, silly, uplifting book, which is exactly what this is. And it's not pretending to be anything else. It's not, okay. I, I don't think that this, the woman who wrote it is like thinking it's going to, you know, win the Nobel Peace Prize for literature or anything like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a silly, fun book. So I really love the premise. I love the idea of like these professional athletes who are, you know, very comfortable in a masculine environment, learning more about women in relationships and feminism through reading. However, it's okay. Let me explain how the book is set up. So there'll be a chapter from the husband's perspective and then a chapter from the wife perspective. And then okay. there'll be occasionally other chapters that are like, the book that he's reading. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so you can see like what he's learning, but most of what he reads is like smut. This is <laughs> like so it, it I don't I wasn't really sure how he was gaining so much insight into his wife's emotional state through reading smut. Like I was like I don't think this makes much sense. And then these guys, like the men in the book have really I don't want to call it advanced conversations about feminist issues. But like there's a scene where they're having a debate over whether or not their daughters should watch Disney movies and whether or not those are like appropriate for girls or if it gives them unrealistic expectations of women and of what relationships should be like. But then some of the other guys in the group are like, it's very condescending to assume that little girls can't differentiate between fantasy and reality. And I like, I think that's a very valid conversation to have. And I'm I support men who want to have those kinds of conversations with their friends, but I don't know how they got that from reading basically a Harlequin romance. Hmm. So I haven't read any Harlequin romance like recently or possibly ever. So maybe there's more to them than I realized, but I was just like, I don't really get this. And they also spent a lot of time like on his wife and I just didn't really care about her that much. I wanted <laughs> to hear more about him and his friends and learn about their kind of their journey into being more sensitive and supportive husbands and okay their problems are resolved really easily i mean the book's like 250 pages and they completely solve three years of misunderstanding in their relationship within those 250 pages so it's really unrealistic but at the same time like i didn't pick up this book because i wanted a big long story of this couple wading through years of problems i wanted something that was really fast so Mm-hmm. It worked that way. The one thing I do have to warn people about is that some of the characters are like super cringy. They're all very, like sometimes the writing, it was just a little dated. One of the characters sings Pink's You and Your Hand to a guy like in the book. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like that's something I would do. But I don't know. It was <laughs> like all of the characters are really like zany and quirky and quick witted. And they just all kind of have the same sort of like interchangeable personality where they have all these zingers all the time. And I just didn't really feel like anyone talks like that, I guess. Hmm. But again, like I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm ripping on the book because it is fun. It is a cute story, whatever, but just know what you're getting into when you pick it up. I feel like that's just like entertainment. Like think about like New yeah. Girl. They're always yeah. so funny and quippy and that's what keeps you entertained. So for very yeah. like small, like beach read, kind of light reading chiclet, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. Like, I don't love the expression chiclet, but it was, it is chiclet, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, Sorry. it's fine. No, it's, I use it all the time too. I think we should have an episode on that actually, because it's such an interesting expression, but, or like genre, I guess. But yeah, I, it was interesting, interesting book, whatever. It was what I needed at that time. 
The other thing I would say is that it has some extremely graphic sex scenes. Like I was really surprised. I was, I knew there'd be some sex in it, but I was very surprised by how graphic it was. And (laughs) it's also dedicated to the author's grandmother, which I thought was really funny because it's very steamy at times. So yeah, that was pretty pretty funny. Hmm. I mean, I don't really read too much chiclet or I don't know if I've actually yeah. ever read like a hardcore Harlequin romance. Neither. Maybe that's like Valentine's Day challenge. <laughs> um, you know, some some of those books can be quite, you know, 50 shades of gray, which yeah. isn't sexy. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, graphic. Yeah. Um, interesting though. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like everything is getting more and more graphic. No, I I would agree with that. I think some books have gotten like very steamy over the last few years. People are becoming more comfortable having that in their in their books. I would like to return to the age of a hand kiss <laughs> in my reading. Is was your next book 2020 or 2021? So my last book of 2020 was The Secret History. And oh, okay. because I was like almost finished, we just talked about it last time. Yeah, I finished it. It's amazing. Read Excellent. it. <laughs> so I read V by Kim Tui. Personally, I feel like this book is difficult to summarize because I lack the ability to convey entire lifetimes in just a few perfectly chosen words, which is a skill that the author most definitely possesses. <laughs> so like rather than plot points, I guess what stood out to me is the remarkable storytelling and the rich imagery that can really only be understood through the reading of or like the listening to this book. It's really hard for me to convey to you if you haven't read it. I listened to the audiobook, which was read by the author, and I really just enjoyed the way her cadence and the soothing tone of her voice really brought this story to life. Ultimately, um, the story is about a family that leaves Saigon during the Vietnam War to go to Canada, and they leave the patriarch of the family behind. V is the youngest child and only girl, and she tells the stories of her parents, her family, and herself as she embarks on her own journeys. So it's a story of hope and resilience, of family history and dynamics, and of human struggle. The things that really like tie us together and the things that separate us. It's hard to explain, but while I was reading this or listening to it, the novel really gave me the sensation of being told like an unhappy story but with the gentle and comforting hand on my shoulder, if that makes sense. Yeah. I read it as part of One E-Read Canada, and many libraries are participating in this and across the country, offering this book as an unlimited download in both French and English. And it was actually originally written in French and translated to English. Since I only speak English, I, of course, listen to the English (laughs) version, Um, but they are offering both at many libraries, yeah, like I said, across the country as both ebook and audiobook until the end of January. And then you probably have some time to read it. And it's also really short. So you will have ample time to read it if you listen to this episode in January and you're interested. It's about a three hour audiobook or like 144 pages. So yeah, I would definitely recommend this one. Two things that I want to mention is that I'm pretty sure this is one of the CBC's great 100 Canadian books, I think, anyways. I am I believe she wrote another book called Rue, 
she did and that might be the one yeah that may be the one that's on there or they both are on there and also the other thing that kind of jumps out to me and I do I do want to download this and listen to it because I find it very interesting that there is a story it's a story of a journey that is so short and I find that books that are about like immigration or refugees or some sort of displacement of people they tend to be quite long right because that is there's a lot going on there is a lot to unpack in those stories and they tend to be generational because those that sort of movement does have a generational impact so they are very long so it's interesting that it's so short and it, it makes me even more interested in it I'm gonna have to get it before January ends I would say so yeah it is interesting like for such a small book it does cover multiple countries like huge amounts of geographical space and movement and you know history of all these different people but really just eloquently told as a relatively short story interesting yeah I'm gonna check that out Definitely I know you do. sent it to me a few weeks ago and I procrastinated downloading it. But now that I know that I have till the end of January, I'll, I'll get it. I was worried it was going to be long. No, it's not long. And then the other thing is like, I believe once you check it out. So even if you checked it out on January 31st, I think you would still have it for like 21 days or right, whatever. Yeah. I'm, that's However what my library does. Yeah. 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 So. Um, okay, so last book that I read this year was Birds, Art, Life, A Year of Observation by Kayo McClear. This was the last book of 2020 for me, and it's a true story about this woman who thinks that her father is passing away very soon. It starts while he's in the hospital, and she goes through what is called anticipatory grief. So it's sort of the sadness that you feel for something that hasn't happened yet, but is eventually going to happen. And through this sort of grief experience, she ends up deciding that she wants to follow this musician who is a birder. She wants to follow him for a year. So the book is a memoir on that year. So it's broken up into passages or like seasons sort of. So it's like winter, spring, fall. No. How do the seasons go? Winter, spring, winter, summer, spring fall, summer, fall. And then winter again. And then there's like in the last winter is the epilogue. So it's very meditative. And she sort of compares birding to her art and to her life quite a bit. And sometimes I felt like she was trying really hard to create metaphors for birding art and life that weren't actually there and trying to sort of connect the lines between these things. I just sort of wasn't convinced that the metaphor that she was reaching for was actually there. It was sort of lost on me and I think it might've been a little bit of a stronger book if she could have just focused on art or life or birding or maybe just two of the topics, like focused on how birding helps her cope. And that was my favorite parts was that when she was discussing birding and her life and she'd talk about seeing her two sons grow up and then watching a nest of birds in her backyard and them raising their chicks, these birds raising their chicks. Like I felt that was really strong and really interesting. But then when she tried to bring it into her art, I just got a little bit disinterested and confused but the book definitely made me think about like my own art not that I would necessarily call myself an artist because I don't like I knit I follow patterns and crochet and follow patterns so I don't know if that counts as creating your own like original art or whatever but I bird quite a bit I really like birding so it kind of made me think about like how do you define who you are and what you call yourself and as I was reading it I was like no one else has the right to tell me that I'm not an artist or not a birder because I don't reach their standard of what that means so I thought it was sort of interesting in that way. And I can see how this book would make people interested in birding. So if that's something that you're have thought about, you should probably check it out because it is really fun to hear to like read about 
her experience birding. And I thought the title was really funny. Birds Art Life. Birds Are Life. <laughs> that was very clever and funny. But yeah, it was just a little bit, I, I kind of went over my head at times, I think. I'm interested in your next book because it's all, it's all about you, right? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so my next book is The Flight Attendant by Chris Bojalian. I read this because there is a pop sugar prompt that is a book where the main character works at your current or dream job. And my kind of my current and dream job is to be a flight attendant. And so I've already read like a lot of the biographies and stuff. I don't know. This seemed like a good pick. It's kind of like it's a murder mystery a thriller. So my mom and I just watched the show on HBO. And it's so, got Penny from the Big Bang Theory, right? It does have Penny from yeah. the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> it's actually like a pretty good show. I'll talk about the book first and then I'll talk about the show a little bit. Okay. Um, so yeah, murder mystery thriller and like a lot of the mystery or like the uncertainty stems from the fact that the main character is an alcoholic, like mm. a serious alcoholic. The plot and like the story, like it's not too complex or deep. So I would call this kind of like a light reading it's kind of like exactly the type of book you would buy at the airport. And it's funny because the first time I ever saw this book was on an airplane. Um, <laughs> very often. And like where I work, the flight attendants usually have like a stash of like magazines and like abandoned books um, that flight attendants read when it's like when everyone is sleeping and you finished all of your duties. Sure, we've all seen flight attendants doing crosswords <laughs> when there's nothing I going definitely on. haven't seen this. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like flights are on. Yeah, I feel like I've never seen a flight attendant doing anything but just like standing, standing, and like looking at people. Oh my god, we never... do a lot of that. Yeah, that's so funny. Wow. Um, especially like on night flights when everyone wants to be asleep. And yeah, it's pretty quiet. Then you can just do some like reading. Hmm. I, so that's a nice thing. Also, into hotel rooms, we read a lot. I don't. Yeah, know. fair enough. There's yeah. a lot of waiting around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm exposing the flight attendant industry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we like to have <laughs> reading materials. So yeah, I don't know how exactly this book, if like someone just, sometimes passengers just like forget books or like leave them for mm. us or magazines. They're like, oh, you want these? Anyway, so that's how I saw the book. And then a lot of flight attendants were reading it. And it wasn't really like, I was like, eh, I'm not too interested in that. And I didn't really think about it again until HBO made the show. And so I watched that and it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It's a lot of like, it's always interesting to see your industry portrayed because yeah. it looks different, like more yeah. glamorous maybe. But the, the show was good enough that I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this book a try. And I think like... Once you've seen the show, the book will be like a little bit of a disappointment just because like the show kind of expanded on characters and gave them a lot more depth and like really did a better job with the relationships between the characters. So I didn't dislike the book, but it was like it didn't engage me as much as the show, which is unusual because usually the books are so much better. Yeah, it is really disappointing um, when you watch a TV show and the book is not as good. Or like a movie. Yeah. And like yeah. so much has like so much of what makes the television series like captivating is the character relationships. 
Kelly Kuoko and Zosha Mamet in the HBO series, they're close friends and they have all this mm. history and they have this really dynamic relationship. So I was shocked when I read the book and they just meet for the first time and she's just mm. her lawyer. And so I think it was really like a good idea to make her more of a character. Yeah. And like, how long is the book, Anne? Sorry. Um, it's like just medium length. Yeah, it's not super long. Like, I read it pretty quickly. I think I actually listened to the audiobook for this one. So the audiobook is like 11 hours and 40 minutes. So it's kind of like mid-length book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like, I would describe this as the kind of book you pick up at the airport, you read on the plane, you finish by the end of your vacation, and then you leave it on the plane yeah. for the flight attendants. Right. So kind of thing. There's a time and a place to read it, but it's not your favorite. Yeah, it's not my favorite. But there's something there. Like, obviously, there's yeah. enough there to create, like, a television show. But then the television qu- show also added a bunch of, like, extra, like, I don't know why you yeah. need to make more and more and more. Sorry. I think to set yeah. it up for, like, a sequel, honestly. Probably. Yeah. I have a question for you. Do you find that now that we've, like, the last two books that we've both sort of read i mean like we've read other books but two of the big ones in our lives right now the secret history by donna tart and then it by stephen king they're so long and do you find that smaller books now it's like they're not as satisfying and you're sort of like why wasn't there more world building why wasn't there more detail like why didn't i know the name of like this character's great aunt you know like you're sort of i almost feel like a little bit ripped off when i read smaller books now do you feel the same way or am i just being a drama queen yeah you do no i definitely i mean there's definitely a balance and it it definitely depends on kind of like the genre i i think yes reading like the secret history reading it i that's like more my thing that's what i like really enjoy yeah um like longer books and like a lot of character interaction so yeah i don't know i feel like i can be rather critical of like shorter books yeah like obviously i can see the value but i always want more i'm greedy yeah, that's how I feel too now. I've been spoiled with it and the secret history that I'm like, oh, it's only 300 pages? <laughs> Garbage. <laughs> this is just like fluff. It's nothing. I need something um, that can fit into my purse when I go out. If I were yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's a big problem with it for me. I'm like, I can't, this doesn't fit in my bag. Okay, before I jump into my next book, I have an off-topic tidbit that I need to share. In our bonus episode, I talked about the book that I feel like ripped me off or was sort of like I got catfished by it. And it was You Should Have Left by Daniel Kelman, I think his last name is. And last night I was thinking about it and it freaked me out so badly that I couldn't sleep. So I don't know if maybe I undersold it or I don't know what happened. Like, I still think that it could have been scarier, but the fact that last night I was like, oh my gosh, that was actually really creepy. I don't know. I just needed to give it a shout out if you're looking for a scary book because it did haunt me a little bit. And I read it in the summer. Like, I read it a while ago, so I shouldn't be so afraid of it still. Okay. Interesting. I actually read that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've been kind of trying to like go back and read things that you've read because of course you like intrigue me so i put hold on like the audiobook and the ebook and they kind of came at the same time so i listened to it and i got really thrown off because there's like a lot of like it's like a journal and then there's a lot of stops and so i kept thinking like 
my audiobook glitched. <laughs> so I had to go and look at the ebook and be like, what is going on? Like, is this realistic yeah. or like, is there something wrong with my like audio player? And so, yeah, there's all these sentences that are just like cut off. Yeah. And there's like so much missing information. And for yeah. me, that that was like unnerving. Yes. He's a what? very unreliable narrator. It's very creepy. It's like, is he interrupted? Why are these entries so incomplete? Like, what's happening here? Yeah. And that really, it's, like, got to me. Yeah. It's, like, it, it's good. Yeah, I, Maybe I need to, like, redact my statement, announce an official redactment that I wasn't catfished by it because it, was, it eventually came back to haunt me. I don't know. <laughs> well, like, if you were expecting, like, a true horror... It's yeah. not that. No, it's not. It is something that you kind of, yeah, I don't know. Weirdly, like, it kind of will come back to you when you're, like, outside in the dark walking your dog and it's really windy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I'm glad that you read it, though. Think that about was such it. a surprise. I, I didn't even, I, when did you finish it? When did you read it? I read it this month. Uh, I forgot to mm. add it to my list because, okay. I don't know, disorganized today. Distracted. <laughs> uh, I was distracted by this morning's events. Yeah. And um, I did like it. I was really curious. I Good. thought I would be disappointed. But like in the end, I felt like the ending, it kind of makes sense. Like it brings everything, like it kind of gives you an it, idea yeah. of what's going on. Yeah, but not does. really. Like you still yeah. have to kind of like wonder and yeah. worry and be disturbed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so my next book, my first book of 2021 was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Edward Albee. So this is actually a play, and it's the first time that I've read a play outside of either school or working with one of my students, which was a, kind of a unique experience. I didn't use any like reading guides, which I would normally do if I was reading a play with a student or for school or whatever. You can find like penguin reading guides online for almost every classic piece of writing that there is. I do want to go see this play if I can. I One of the things that I miss the most about life before COVID is going to plays. I really love plays. This particular play is three hours long, actually. It's very, very long. And there are two 10-minute intermissions, I think. Have you seen it, Anne? You're nodding your um, head quite a bit. It makes me wonder. It seems like I might have, like, but not recently. Right, yeah, okay. I'm familiar with it, but yeah, not recent familiarity if that makes any sense no it does yeah so it's about this couple who are in their like mid to late 50s and they invite a younger couple who are in like their mid to late 20s over to their house after a party at this university that both of the husbands work at and the couple arrives at their house at like 2 a.m which is sort of weird to to me, even as a young person, if I was at a work party and then people were like, oh, come over so we can continue the party at 2 a.m., I'd be like, no way, man, I got to sleep. But basically, the younger couple become pawns in this older couple's really weird fight. And so the book is, or the play is supposed to be about family dynamics and societal expectations and sort of the pressure that we put on each other and that society puts on us. But the way that the issues of this older couple are brought out was so unbelievable to me. Like they're fighting before this young couple shows up and the young couple comes into their house and they're still fighting and the younger couple just stays and sort of gets involved. 
if I was in that position, I'd be like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to listen to my colleague have a massive fight with his wife. Like I would bounce for sure. I just don't understand why they stayed. I found it was really unbelievable. I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. And then there's like a lot of drama that just sort of feels forced. Like they were all supposed to be drunk the whole time. Like they keep drinking, like they're constantly drinking the whole night, but they acted more like they were having for lack of a better expression, some sort of mental issue versus being drunk. So what I mean by that is that the way that they behave is so out of touch from any sort of reality that it being drunk is not a good enough explanation for their behavior. And so I've never seen drunk people fight and argue for like six hours straight, which is what happens in this book. Like for hours, these, this fight goes on. And one of them will go from being like, like the let's say the younger husband will go from saying, you know, maybe we should really leave. Like we should get out of here to the next, like the next sentence be like, I'm not going yet. And it's just like, there's like, I don't understand the reasoning from him for him changing his mind so suddenly, like nothing will have happened within the script to justify that change in opinion. Hmm. And what, like one of the girls, like the young wife will just sort of go on this like weird ramble about like her family and her fault. Like it's just weird. And they're all sort of having their own bizarre monologues for no reason at times where they're just sort of randomly saying things. And like, it's, it's just so bizarre. Like it just drunk people don't act that way alcohol is not a valid enough reason for their behavior. And more than anything, it seemed like some of them were having like a break from reality. Hmm. Because like, it's just, it's so weird. And like, I, it, it was such a, such a strange play. It kind of comes together in the end in some respect. Like you sort of figure out why, why the older couple are having the issues that they're having, but it still doesn't justify a, why this younger couple decided to sit around in the like at four o'clock in the morning and listen to their colleagues have a massive blowout. Like not even their colleagues, like colleague and his wife have like a huge domestic dispute. Like it's surreal. I mean, I guess like I would peg that as like dramatics for the stage a little bit. Maybe. I mean, the 60s, I feel like people maybe more like partied later in the night. I mean- I, I feel like people are just more antisocial now. <laughs> you could be right. Honestly, um, maybe it just doesn't translate well to, you know, 60 years later. But 60 years oh later, my God, right? 60 Yeah. Years. Oh, my gosh. It is 60 years. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say 40. I'm like, it's not 2000. It's 2021. It's been 59 oh years. Gosh. But yeah, like, I I don't know. It's just, I. it's so strange. It's so bizarre at times. Hmm. It's interesting how, like, how, like when you are watching a play and you're there and the stage and the costumes and the set, like, you can just accept a whole lot more. Whereas, like, when yeah. it's on paper, it's on, it seems, like, totally bonkers. Yeah. The last two plays that I've read have been by Arthur Miller, who wrote Death of a Salesman and The Crucible, mm-hmm. which I, I loved both of them. I particularly loved The Crucible, but I taught them both to my students And he has so much background information on his characters and their motivations and the stage direction, everything that I think that I'm expecting other plays to be like that. And they're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Like Arthur Miller gives a lot of detail about like, this is exactly where the stage is laid out and like really goes into detail for whoever is reading it or whoever is directing the play. So maybe I just had a little bit of unrealistic expectations. I'm glad that I read it because it is a classic mm-hmm. and I love plays. 
so, you know, it was worthwhile reading, but it's strange. I feel like I haven't said anything good about any of the books that I've read so far this month, but there are some good ones coming, I swear. Sometimes. I don't know. Not Yeah. Sometimes you just go through a rough patch of not liking many of the books that you read. For sure. Especially like uh, when you're contrasting it with just like other, you know, books that you, when you're yeah. reading a book that you really love and then you're also yeah. trying to read a bunch of other like supplemental books, it's hard not to just be totally critical. It's true. I do try to like, okay, what, what is like the author's purpose with this book? Who's the audience? Like try to put it in its own league yeah, when I true. critique it, but that's a good, yeah, that's I do have good... bias. We definitely have biases. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so the last book that I read so far in January and I just finished this one, is The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. It was published in 1970. The book is set in Ohio in 1941, so it's kind of like right after the Depression. And it opens with the revelation that the main character, who isn't the narrator, has been like impregnated by her father um so there's like some pretty big trigger warnings for this book and like this is like right off the bat you could it's very clear yeah (laughs) that this is going to be a heavy book there's a line in like the opening paragraph and it's told from the perspective of the narrator who's kind of like a friend and neighbor of this 11 year old girl named Picola, and it's just uh, heart-wrenching she's talking about how Um, And it's kind of like a flash forward. So she's talking about how the seeds that she planted with her sister didn't grow. And she says this, we had dropped our seeds in our own little plot of black dirt, just as Piccolo's father had dropped his seeds in his own plot of black dirt. But ultimately, none of these seeds came to bloom. And then the book describes how this came to be from the perspective of the narrator. Whoa. So, yeah, I'm getting emotional already. Like, right off the bat, this book is challenging. In in the foreword, the author talks kind of about some of the themes and about how powerful rejection can be Mm. in shaping a person and how especially, like, the intersectionality of the main character in that she is young, she is female, and she is Black. And then coupled with like a complete lack of support, make her so vulnerable to this ultimate like undoing and like destruction. So she explains that she actually like got the idea for the book and was inspired by a childhood friend of hers who expressed like a desire for blue eyes. (laughs) And that like really stuck with her. Mm. This desire to be like an anomaly rather than embracing her own beauty just because of racial like racial shame right Tony Morrison talks about how like how out of place blue eyes would look on this like in this person yeah yeah it's like very unusual yeah yeah so just like to have this idea of like what is beautiful that you would be a freak yeah so to speak to have that like people would nowadays, if someone saw that, they think that you were wearing like colored contacts. Yeah, even today. Um, I don't know. It's weird how we kind of get, especially like for young girls, to kind of think like, okay, if I have like blue eyes, blue eyes are beautiful. Blue eyes are, you know, more valuable. But like, they aren't. <laughs> no, no, I know. Yeah, and it's it's, a, yeah. 
Yeah, that's very, oh man, you have to stop reading these interesting books because now I'm like wanting to pick them up and put away the other things that I had planned to read. Wow. I know, sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, Toni Morrison is like really well known and like highly yeah. respected. This is actually her first novel, but it's my first time reading any of her work. So yeah. I Are feel you like- read the rest? Um, she has quite a bit. I, yeah. I am interested in like reading more of her work. Her writing style, it's heavy material, but I really appreciated how like unapologetic she was and her approach mm. to writing about these topics. It was really moving. Mm. I'd say that this book has been on my list for a long time. It is a classic. And like, ugh, it's kind of unfortunate when you read these classics and you realize like it is still relevant today. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's hard. I don't. I don't want to say that I have any idea what it was like to be like a young black girl in the 1940s. I don't even really understand what it's like today. But like as a woman, I can relate to those pressures. Yeah. And like try to empathize with like her circumstances. I don't know. I feel I don't want to speak for anyone, but I do feel like I've definitely felt like maybe if I could just change like one aspect about mm -hmm. myself yeah the world would open up to me yeah just one little change could change everything yeah she really just like little girl in the book really just focuses so heartily on like this idea if she had blue eyes like the world would just open up for her yeah yeah I know what you mean in that respect for sure and it's really it's really sad so for a relatively short book this book is so heavy. Like I said, there's a lot of trigger warnings, like a lot of racial slurs and like sexual content, including pedophilia and incest and sexual assault. You know, this delicate and imaginative young girl is subjected to all of these things. And uh, that that makes it really not an easy book. But I feel that it's really an important book. And Toni Morrison is, she's very eloquent and her beautiful writing style juxtaposes with like this ugly grit of reality in a way that just, it's just a very worthwhile novel. Yeah, I, I know, I mean, I haven't read it, but I know what you mean with writers who are just very talented at their craft and are writing about things that are very, I don't want to say controversial because I don't think that encompasses I guess things that we as a society see as being like the worst elements of society so like yeah. really beautiful writing with the kind of the most difficult things that anyone can face and there's something about that that's just it comes together in such a beautiful package yeah it's really hard to describe the balance of not fluffing over like mm. really strong subject matter and, you know, being very raw and upfront and matter of fact about it without being gratuitously graphic. It's yeah. like she just balances that really well, in my yeah. opinion. Wow. Okay. I'll have to add it to my list. Oh, God. <laughs> so I read the collected works of Katie or Kay O'Neill. Kay, which I think is their preferred name, goes by they, there. And they announced that those were their pronouns after their books came out. So all of okay. the books that I read had she, her pronouns in about the author. And I went back and double checked to the last episode and neither of us misgender K 
at all. So when you're looking up their books, you might, I don't know for sure that you'll be able to find anything if you look up Kay O'Neill. So you, you might do have to not. do Katie. Yeah. So you have to do Katie O'Neill, even though they prefer to go by Kay. So just so you know, yeah, if you're better. trying to find it later on, it's, it's Katie. So their books, there's like a very good palate cleanser after reading Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Because they're just super simple, adorable books. And I read Aquacorn Cove last year, and then I wanted to check out the rest of their books. So I picked up Dewdrop, The Tea Dragon Society, and The Tea Dragon Festival. And Dewdrop is actually a children's picture book. And it's so cute. It's so adorable. It's really touching. It's very educational about sea life. So you get to learn a lot about different ocean animals, which is always fun. And then the Tea Dragon Society and the Tea Dragon Festival are middle grade graphic novels and they're precious. They're so sweet. I cannot recommend them enough. I loved them so, so much. So they're about people who raise like tiny little dragons and then the dragons grow flowers or leaves from their antlers. And then you can pluck the flowers and leaves and harvest them so you can like make tea. You brew tea with them. And each, yeah. yeah, each dragon has their own like tea that they create. So there's like the chamomile tea dragon and like the hibiscus tea dragon. It's so, so sweet. The characters are very inclusive. So there's a character who's in a wheelchair and a character who is deaf. I can't remember if they're in the same book or not. Because the Tea Dragon Society is the first one. And then the Tea Dragon Festival is the prequel. So you can read that one after. And I feel like the character who's in a wheelchair is in the society and then the deaf character is in festival, but I could be wrong. And I think the character that's in the wheelchair is also kind of in the tea festival, yeah. but lesser so. Lesser so. And then yeah. the character who is deaf is introduced in the festival. Yeah. And so they have a way of showing you sign language in a graphic novel which is not something that you see like you can see them doing it but of course they're also like there's a different kind of speech bubble for sign language in the book which is very cool i've never seen a character who's deaf in almost any book as a main character let alone in a graphic novel i can't think of any deaf main characters from any book can you well i mean i read helen keller's book oh true <laughs> um hmm I feel like I definitely have. Yeah, I can't think of any. But I can't think right now. Yeah. Anyways, it's really awesome that they added this because it makes for a very interesting element to the story and it's important to have representation. And a lot of the characters seem human, but they're actually sort of half human. But then if you look closely, like they might have a human face, but then if you look closely, they have a tail or they have hooves instead of hands or feet or whatever. So there's really cute little details like that that are just super fun and adorable. And I really liked it. It's just super sweet. And it made me want to draw again. I finished Tea Dragon Festival at like midnight. I was like, I want to go draw. I don't want to go to bed. The art style is again, like Aquacorn Cove, kind of hard to look at because it's very like monochromatic sort of palettes. There isn't a lot of fine or thicker lines defining faces or features or whatever but it's still you know really sweet and cute and yeah I just I loved it I loved it so much and at the back of the book they have a guide for the different kinds of dragons so you'll say like the chamomile dragon is like very sleepy and brews a sweet tea and it describes the character of the dragon as well as the tea that they make 
it's just oh there's also a board game for it and you can get plushies yeah, of the that. different dragons oh. it's so cute i really want the That's board game so it looks cute. really fun yeah i highly recommend their books they're great yeah they were really cute i mm. um so i got them through hoopla um through my library and like i usually don't like reading on my computer too much but i did notice like the contrast because i read i read aquacorn co like in regular like paper book form and i noticed yeah the um contrast was like a lot lower whereas online the images are just a bit sharper oh okay which makes sense yeah yeah i love these books they're so like so cute they're really cute. and like i love how how inclusive they are without being like heavy-handed Okay, yeah, in the tea festival, two characters are talking about dragons and how they can shapeshift from, like, a more human form yes. to, like, yeah. a more dragon form. And they can also shift between, like, male and female. Yeah. And it's just, like, this is a fact. And they're yeah. like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's just really cool. I did read Princess, Princess... Ever Ooh, After yeah, as well. One. Yeah, their other book, yeah. How that did you one, get that one? I got it on Hoopla. Okay, because it's not available at my library. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I found it on Hoopla, okay. so check it out there. And yeah, that one's also really cute and inclusive because it's, it's the story of two princesses. Yeah, that's sweet. I did notice that in the books, like in the two tea dragon books, there were characters who may have been LGBTQ+, but it wasn't outright said. And it didn't really matter because it wasn't about that. Like, that was just mm -hmm. who they were and it was just, that was it. Which is really nice. Like, I love stories of people coming out and accepting who they are. And I think those stories are really important because it helps other people sort of path their own way to coming out or pave their way to coming out. But it's also really nice to read books where someone is just, that's just who they are. And that's just a, a minor part of their identity because there's so much more to someone than just their sexual orientation. Yeah. yeah. I think that was like, I noticed that too. And like, it's really refreshing where you kind yeah, of, you see that these two like same sex characters have this really strong bond and relationship, but it, yeah. it's like none of your business kind of. Yeah. Like yeah, it is yeah. what it is. And it doesn't have to be explained. Yeah. You're just we like, don't need oh, to wow. know. Yeah. We don't need to know like the sex life of every single character. It can just be that they have a close bond and that bond is just as important as any other kind of bond. And if they are together, you know, it's great that they're just together. That doesn't have to be this big, painful experience. It's just a part of their lives. And it's just nice. It's cute. It's a really good book. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like, really I liked mean, it. It's nice to see more and more representation casually mm -hmm. or like you know i'm glad that we're getting to that point yeah me too especially I, to see in like a children's book yeah yeah especially in a children's book yeah it's so true okay there's one more thing that i want to add before we end okay and i forgot to mention it before so you know when you were talking about the flight attendant and you read it for the pop sugar prompt of a book that is like the main character has your current or dream job. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently like part-time employed, like I'm tutoring part-time, but I don't have a full-time job because of, you know, COVID and the state that our economy is in. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what is my 
what is my dream job? Because I'm applying for jobs. And then I saw that prompt. So I've been like, what's my dream job? You know, what should I do? What should I do for that prompt? And it's like, I could do a prompt for like a teacher. And I think that's what I was going to do. That was sort of the solution that I had. But I also, after reading the Tea Dragon Society, I'm like, oh, my dream job is to be like a person who raises tea dragons. Oh my God, that's so cute. (laughs) That's my dream job. Too bad it doesn't exist, but that would be... That would be perfect. So, oh my God. I know I could not handle it. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. I like, I wish I could, but I feel like I don't know. <laughs> They're really cute. Oh man. At least now I can cross it off my Pop Sugar 2021 challenge because I have not done a single one for that yet. So, I've oh. only done that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those are all the books we read this month. And what should we do for our February topic? Our next episode. Oh my goodness. I, since it is February and our next episode will be coming out February 15th. So it'll be the day after Valentine's day. So I was thinking we could either do our suggested romance books, what we recommend. Like, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like a Harlequin romance or anything, but any kind of romance story where love is the main feature could be fun. Okay. Or mm-hmm. I know whether when we talked about this originally, you had suggested we talk about books that we love that we don't normally have an excuse to talk about. Mm. So yeah. I, I mean, I think we could do a mix. Okay. Um, something a little bit romantic. Cause like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Cause it won't be <laughs> we'll our book review. I was just like, I was confused for a second. Cause it won't be our book review episode. No, no. It'll be like a theme episode. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do something along those lines. So before we go, we want to announce that we are going to do a Instagram giveaway because February 14th 14th. is International (laughs) Book Gift Day. Right, Anne? Yes. It's Valentine's Day and it's also International Book Giving Day. Yes. Very nice. So we are going to give away a $25 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. If we are able to pick an independent bookshop and they will accept our Canadian money in the United States, we will do what we can. If not, it might have to go to Barnes and Noble. And in Canada, we will try to do an independent bookshop if that's what you choose. But if not, we might have to go to Indigo. I know that not all independent bookstores are accepting online purchases right now, accepting gift card purchases. So there'll be some logistical things to sort out, but there will be one way or another, the winner will get a gift card. So in order to win, you can go to our Instagram, which is foxandfraid.podcast, and you can follow us there and then tag a friend. And in that same comment, tell us what the first book you read this year was. And we will announce the winner on... 14th? The 15th. 15th. Okay, on the 15th. I, I think that the our release date is Monday, which I think is the 15th. Yes, it is. But we will announce it on Instagram. We can do that on the 14th. Yes. Okay, so I hope everyone tries to win the gift card. <laughs> yes, please go to our Instagram and we'll have all of the instructions there as well, just in case you need some help with that. And you can give us a nice little heart. Yes. For Valentine's Day. And that's everything for us this week. 
Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Thank you for joining us here at Boxed and Frayed. We have been your hosts, Anne and Robin. You can email us at boxedandfrayed.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at foxandfrayed.podcast. And there you can find a link to our website, which has a master list of all of the books we've discussed. We'll talk to you next time. Happy reading. <laughs>